Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. But the title for today is An Intervention Backfires. An Intervention Backfires, Mark chapter 3, verse, starting verse 20. <clears throat> now, thank you, Lori, for the slide. And I remember when I started bringing kids to the farm, and my mom was super protective when I brought the kids all to the farm. She was super protective. And if I left, can't remember, we used to leave them, we'd go out to have pizza and wings in the Buffalo area, and the, we'd leave the kids with my parents, and my mom was so protective, she wouldn't let them out of the yard. We'd come home, and they'd be so bored, you know, sitting in the yard. You know, Mom, why don't you let them go out, go out and play on the farm? No, it's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. She was so protective. And this is the same mom with her own kids. We, we'd climb the 70-foot silo outside on the rungs, and, and we'd go down to the woods, disappear for the day, come back. She goes, oh, you're home already? You know, the same mom, right? And I, I said, mom, and then when they were born, each kid, she was so worried about each baby, she was like over the top. And I'm sure nobody here can relate to that, right? So, but I remember Megan, when Megan was born, it finally got to me. Megan was born, she was, a, she was small, and my mom was like, something's wrong with her, something's wrong. I'm like, mom, she's a preemie. She's up five weeks early. She's a preemie. She's, you know, she's fine. Look, she's going off the couch to play soccer. Now she's fine. Everything was fine. Doctor said she's fine. I kept telling her. My mom would not let go. And finally I said, mom, you're paranoid. I remember having this conversation. You're paranoid. I wish you worried about us that way, you know? <laughs> and my dad jumps to her defense and says, that's not true. Your mom has always been paranoid. <laughs> Some defense, right? Some defense. The insanity defense, right? Uh, and we're going to see that Jesus' family comes to the rescue the same way. He's crazy. They're going to try to rescue Jesus by saying he's crazy. There's these big crowds, and Jesus be, is being mobbed. He was like a celebrity, big time, before there was you know, TV and Internet. He was a huge celebrity, just being mobbed. But at the same time, he was doing these amazing miracles, and everybody's like shocked. But he was also politically incorrect. He upset the religious leaders of the day, which were also the political leaders and the cultural leaders. If you ever saw Fiddler on the Roof, you know what, the, what role the religious leaders played in this culture. He upset them. He called them hypocrites. That was, didn't go over very well. And we see that Jesus' family attempts an intervention. They come along and they say, it's okay. They try to break through the guard. It's okay. We're his family. We're his family. Don't pay any attention to Jesus. He has this, he's crazy. He suffers from a, a, a messiah complex, right? They're trying to rescue him. Even his mother Mary got carried away with this. Uh, and, you know, it's because he's not eating. It's because he's not eating. He always gets, ever since he's little, if he doesn't get enough his nap, doesn't eat right, this is how he gets. You know, she tries to, you know, say it's because he's not eating, right? They all break in with this thing, right? But we're going to see that Jesus uses this attempted intervention that goes bad to teach a very important spiritual lesson. Let's pray before we read it. Father, we thank you for the worship today. Just so touching to be able to glimpse you through this worship. It's the greatest gift you've given us besides our salvation. The greatest gift you've given us is the worship, be able to connect with you through song and through prayer through meditation. We just pray that your spirit now would speak to us through your word. You know what each one of us is carrying in and, and how, why you have us here sitting here today for a specific reason. We pray for that, your mercy and grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, let's pick it up with Mark chapter 3, 20 to 21. Now, last week we looked at 22 to 30, and sandwiched in between the intervention is this whole story about the, uh, of the family intervention, sandwiched in between the intervention is the story about what the Pharisees attacked Jesus on, okay? And they're really mad because they're so mad that he's been calling them hypocrites and he shows them up and he exposes what they're all about. Sermon on the Mount, we did Matthew 5 through 7. If you wanted to get the CDs, uh, podcast, um, same thing for last week. But sandwiched, they're so mad that they say Jesus is possessed by Satan. And the family heard these ramifications, I mean, the accusations, and they knew the ramifications. And let me just read verses 20 to 21 first of all. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Okay? Mary was in on this, and the brothers were in on this. And the family had heard the accusations. He's possessed. They knew the ramifications. He's going to be shunned. You saw Fiddler on the Roof, you know, the whole shunning thing, right? This is where it comes from. And so they attempt an intervention. I don't know if you've ever been part of an intervention for alcohol or drugs but, or some other eating disorder, whatever it is, but the family gathers around. They, they basically try to force the person to face their problem and face their alcohol problem and to go to AA or go to some kind of rehab or get help for that. And I'm just using alcohol because it's an easy example, but there's many ways we, we have interventions. And intervention is meant to get the person to face their problem and get help and get better and everybody moves forward. That's what they try to do here with Jesus. They try to do an intervention with Jesus. Now, they're way off base here because he didn't need an intervention, but in fairness to Jesus' family, they were probably shocked at what was going on, right? He had become famous. He could do miracles. I mean, he could do amazing, amazing things, right? Crazy what's going on. Now, his mom knew his true identity. She knew it. Like Superman, you know, the Superman movie out that's out now. The, 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 the parents in Clark Kent, they knew the secret identity because they knew. Uh, and Mary knew the t- secret identity. It's like Superman, right? Joseph knew, but Joseph is obviously dead by now because he's never mentioned in this, this part of the gospel. So he probably, he was older, he probably passed away. So Joseph is gone. His siblings probably liked him, but they probably resented this Jesus brother, right? Brothers and sisters probably resented him because, you know, we see comments made throughout the, the gospels by his siblings, and we see that they did resent him. They did, you know, it had to be hard, right? Could you imagine being, you know, having Jesus as your older brother? You know, it's mom's favorite, you know, how could he not be mom's favorite? He really was mom's favorite. And, uh, you know, goody-goody two-shoes, he never got in trouble, never did anything wrong, had to be hard. Teachers, you go to school, you're Jesus' brother, you're Jesus' little sister, little brother, can you imagine, you know? Megan gets that in school a lot. She'll go, you're, those are your two older brothers? You're a Wilson? Yeah, because she's so different from them, yeah? And she always comes back and tells us a story, and we like laugh, you know? But, uh, but can you imagine if it was Jesus you're following? It'd be hard. It'd be really, really hard. And we know that they didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. That's what finally convinced them that Jesus was the Son of God. Their, their s- stepbrother was the Son of God. They didn't believe it until then. And then several of his brothers became key leaders in the church. Huge leaders. James and different ones. 
leaders in the church. And it's hard on any family when someone goes into ministry, isn't it? For those who have gone into ministry, you know someone in your family got into ministry, it's always hard on any family. I know when I was getting ready to go into ministry and, you know, kicking and screaming, you remember what I shared about what well, my family was kicking and screaming too. And uh, what, what, Chucky, you know, after all the trouble he's caused and all he's done, he's going in, he's going to be preaching, yeah? And so that, it's hard on any family. It's, it's hard on us, when we, for many of us, when we become Christians, right? If we're from a non-Christian family and they don't understand the whole thing, and we, we, we become a Christian, it's a shock to them, to our family and friends, and it's really hard on them. They think we're crazy. They just don't get it. I remember when I was a youth pastor, different kids would become Christians, and, and their families fought it tooth and nail. They didn't care if they were partying and going nuts out there. As long as they went to their religious rituals in the church they were in, they were happy with that, but as soon as they became born again, oh no, they joined a cult, you know, and they, they stopped partying and doing all those crazy things. They, they didn't like it. The parents didn't like it. They'd rather have them partying and going to some religious rituals. But to actually be following God and being close to God, they, were, they got all like, you know, crazy. And I remember some of them tried to go to Christian colleges and, you're not going to brainwash my child by sending them to this Christian college. No, you'd rather they go to some other state school and party their brains out. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't be mad at me then, right? Yeah, but it's crazy, isn't it? But they don't understand. They don't get it. It's hard. And it comes with the territory. This is part of what we're going to look at today is the cost of discipleship. It's the cost of discipleship. Many times we're called to sacrifice some family members or friends. We've all experienced it, haven't we, when we really try to follow Jesus Christ. The cost of discipleship. And the intervention we're going to see doesn't go quite the way they expected. And Jesus uses it to teach a very important lesson. And let's go down to verses. We're going to go past the sandwich here that we looked at last week to verse 31. 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does, the will of God, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Now, some of you grew up being taught that Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters and siblings, Right? And that Mary remained, Mary remained a virgin until she ascended into heaven. That's not in the Bible. None of that. The Bible clearly teaches that she remained a virgin until Jesus was born. After that, all throughout the New Testament, you find Mary and Joseph and brothers and sisters. It's all over the place. It's impossible to miss. Many of us were also taught that God is a pretty mean guy. Some of you remember this, right? God's this mean guy. And if you really want to get an answer to prayer, you have to pray to Mary. Many of us were taught that as children. And that Jesus would never deny his mother. You have to go to his mother because Jesus would never deny his mother. But he just did. He just did. Mary is the most blessed of all women. It says that in the Bible most blessed of all women, but she sinned, and she needed a Savior, just like every one of us. And that Savior was her son, Jesus Christ. In fact, it says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. That includes all of us and Mary included. We are never told to pray to Mary or to anyone else in the Bible. That's not anywhere in the Word of God. Nowhere. So where did it come from? It was invented by man. It's not in the Bible. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, very, very clear. In 1 Timothy 2.5 it says, For there is... For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. One mediator. Now, it's not denying the divinity of Christ here. That's all over the First Timothy and all over the New Testament. But it's stressing that Jesus became man so that he could become the mediator between God and man. He's the God-man Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one that can mediate, that we can pray to God in Jesus' name. That's it. So the Roman Catholic doctrine of making Mary the co-mediator is totally against Scripture. And even there's even a movement now, it's been going on for some time, to make her co-redemptor. Do you understand that? Not just co-mediator, but co-redeemer, which is Jesus on the cross, right? Co-redeemer. In fact, there's, I'm going to read you a little article from Newsweek. This was a while, 1997, back when... Uh, Pope John Paul II was still alive, and there was a big movement going on because he was so pro-Mary. It says here, I'm going to read you the article, Newsweek. A growing movement in the Roman Catholic Church wants the Pope to proclaim a new controversial dogma that Mary is co-redeemer. Will he do it? Maybe in time for the millennium. This is what they were saying. Uh, Pope John Paul II, there's a big movement asking him, Big, uh, a lot of people signing this what they taking signatures, trying to get him, asking the Pope use, to use his power of papal infallibility to proclaim a new dogma of the Roman Catholic faith that Mary is co-redemptor, mediator of all Greeces, and advocate for the people of God. It had millions of, of at this time it had four or five million signatures, including uh, big supporters was Mother Teresa. Nearly 500 bishops and 42 cardinals, including John O'Connor of New York. If this succeeds, Catholics would be obliged, as a matter of faith, to accept three extraordinary doctrines. That Mary participates in the redemption achieved by her son. That all graces that flow through the suffering and death of Jesus Christ are granted only through Mary's intercession with her son. And that all prayers and petitions from the faith on earth must likewise flow through Mary, who then brings them to the attention of Jesus. Theologians call this Mariology. It contradicts 1 Timothy 2.5. They even brought this out. It contradicts 1 Timothy 2.5. But the Holy Trinity would really become a quartet, with Mary playing the multiple role of daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, and spouse of the Holy Spirit. And this is very, very serious. Uh, it, It came very close to passing. Very, very close to passing, and it's very, very serious. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, no, there is one mediator between God and man. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And as Mark 3, coming back to Mark 3.31 to 35, makes very clear, even Mary and his brothers must have a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Just because it's his mother doesn't mean anything. Just because they're the brothers doesn't mean anything. They still need to have a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. They must come to him through faith, just like each one of us. We all must come, just like the song that was beautiful, the cross. I was like in tears listening to that. Just like the, the cross, we must all come through the cross of Jesus Christ. We come to that cross and we ask God to forgive us our sins through Jesus' sacrifice. We put our faith in Jesus and we put our trust in him. We give our life to him. And there's no other middle man. It's Jesus and his cross alone. That's it. And some, it's the same today. Just because we're born into a Christian family or we go to church when we're kids or we were christened as a baby or we're confirmed as a teenager, doesn't mean anything. Just because we're part of a church or part of a Christian family doesn't make us a Christian any more than swimming in a lake makes you a fish. We all have to put our faith. It doesn't matter what our parents were. It matters have we put our personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the positive side to this is this. We don't need Mary or a saint to get to God. We don't need a religious ritual to get to God. You don't need Pastor Chuck to get to God. Or a holy person. I'm not a holy person. But you don't, you don't need some, some spiritual person. You, you don't need that. You don't need, I can't get you access to God. You personally, every one of us personally, can come directly to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Can we encourage you? Sure. I'm here to encourage you. We're all here to encourage each other in our faith. But it all comes down to every one of us must come to Jesus Christ to get to the Father. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The door slams on every other option and every other person. We can all have access, direct access to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that starts the second we put our faith in Jesus Christ to forgive us. And we put our faith in him to save us. And we, we give our, our faith in him to follow him for our life. When we take that step, we have direct access to God. And Jesus tells us how we join the family of God. In Mark 3.35, the last verse that we were looking at, he says this. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God, and we've talked about this, we've been bang, banging away at this, right? As we went through the Sermon on the Mount, we kept coming back, what is the will of God? We went to John 6.40. In John 6.40, Jesus tells us what the will of God is. He says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. If we look to the Son and we believe in him, that means not just an intellectual, but it's the heart. It means to put your heart's faith in him, our total trust in him. When we do that, that's doing God's will, and that's, that's the starting point for joining the family of God. But then to, to stay in close relationship with God the Father, we have to keep on doing God's will. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? We, we stressed that. We saw that the key to staying in a close relationship with God the Father is by following Jesus Christ. God's will for us is that we become like Jesus Christ, which is holy. That progressive holiness that should be happening in our life. And we talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2 and, and, and being a transformer and, and the holiness. And that's 
That's the ongoing living out God's will and staying close to him. That's why, because sin, every time we sin, it breaks that relationship. Not the relationship, it breaks the fellowship. We still are in the relationship, we're still his children, but it breaks the fellowship. It comes between us, just like if you wrong your spouse or you, you do something against your parents or your kids, any, or a good friend, anybody. When you do something, it breaks that fellowship. It is so important, it's so important that we keep that clean. I want to ask you this question. Are you part of the family of God? Yes. Amen. Amen. Are you part of the family of God? Have you joined that family? John, I looked, we looked at John 6.40, John 3.16. I hope you have this memorized. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? That is the only way. I, I, I don't always bring up different churches and stuff, but I know I've kind of been hitting the, the whole Catholic thing because of the Mary thing today. But I also saw something in the news this week. Headlines, Vatican offers time off purgatory to followers of Pope Francis tweets. <laughs> this isn't a joke. I, I, this, I know it sounds like a joke. It's not a joke. Listen to this. Papal court handling the pardons for sin says contrite Catholics may win indulgences by following World Youth Day on Twitter. So if you follow the Pope's Twitter, you actually get time off of purgatory. Now, <laughs> now I'm, really, I'm really not trying to mock. I'm, I want to say this. There's no such thing as Purgatory. Anywhere in the Bible, there is a heaven and a hell. And you don't get out of, you don't get to heaven by Twitter. You get to heaven by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's only by faith. And Christians, are we staying close to God? Are we enjoying our access through Jesus Christ? Through prayer. Are we coming, are we staying close by following Jesus Christ's Twitter? God does have a Twitter. It's right here. Everything he wants us to read. It's called the Bible. Everything you need to get close to God and stay close to God. If you can handle one book of this Bible, it's amazing. This Twitter is, this, this is God's Twitter. Are we staying, are we following God and becoming more like Jesus Christ by knowing the word and living out the word? Are we, are we allowing God's spirit to flow through us? He's in us. If you put your faith in Christ, his spirit's in us. Are we grieving the Holy Spirit? Are we allowing his spirit to flow through us? Are we talking to him? Are we, are we allowing ourselves to be filled with the spirit through the worship and prayer and spending time with him? Are we allowing the spirit to flow to us? Are we taking advantage of that access? Think about it. Access to God. You know, we'd be excited if some celebrity walked in here, right? Everybody, like, at the end, everybody would be like, trying to get an autograph and talk and get pictures and would just be thrilled. I got to talk to somebody. But who cares? We have access to God 24-7, anytime. You're laying in your bed, you're out walking, you're driving the car, you're in the shower, you're at work, you're in the middle of a fight with your kids, you know, whatever. We have access. Some of you this week, right? All right, I'm, I'm in that club. But some of you, but we have access constantly to God anytime through Jesus Christ and through faith in him. Let's, let's, we don't need Twitter. Thank you. Amen. Let's pray.
Do you have that relationship? As we go this time, just talking between us and God, do you have that relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you ever joined the family of God, the body of Christ? Can't be good enough to get it? Can't work your way in? You can't be religious enough? There's only one way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? You can join the family right now. You can have the Holy Spirit living in you right now. You can talk to God anytime right now by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Right where you're sitting here. You may be doing it in your heart right now. Just say, God, I I ask you to forgive me. I repent of all the sin in my life. I, I ask you to forgive me. I know Jesus paid for that. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow him. If you've prayed that, or you are praying that, or if you do pray that, the Holy Spirit comes in and we are a brand new person and now we can talk to God any time. If you take that step of faith, let me know. Let somebody know. Tell someone here just so we can be excited for you and encourage you. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, are we taking advantage of this relationship? Are we enjoying this relationship? Are we growing in this relationship more holy every day? How is God speaking to us this morning? Let's just take a few moments to pray and respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction in our hearts right now. Father, we... I don't share these things to to mock other people because it's not funny that others depend on humans and human traditions and man-made rules to get close to you. And I know there's many godly people in all different churches and all different denominations, even those that have some false teaching. There's still some real godly people who love Jesus Christ and follow you. We know that. And we know that we here can get off base very easily. Every time we get away from your word, we can lose our way very quickly. And we need grace and mercy as much as anybody. More, I need it. Lord, we pray that you would give us love in our hearts for everyone and be able to share the truth in love. And we pray that Maybe someone here for the first time really heard the gospel, that their eyes would be open, their hearts would be open, and they would have a relationship with you. I pray for every one of us that you would put things in our life every day to remind us that we need you, that we need your mercy and grace, that your love is right there for us, constantly there to carry us and to strengthen us, that your joy is there. Just keep giving us these glimpses of you and glimpses of heaven, these glorious moments that 
turn our hearts and minds to you. We thank you in Jesus' name.